Well, good morning. Thank you for joining me on Conversations with Caregivers. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Happy to. I'm Whitney Bishop. I am a, an author and coach and consultant here based in Louisville, Kentucky. I am um, the author of a book called Morning Meditation Nuggets, which is now expanding into a series. The next one, of course, being focused on caregiving and caregivers. Beautiful. So, yeah. So what was your, because you were also a caregiver for quite some time. And that, that's correct. You wrote that first book while you were caregiving for someone. That's right. It published uh, just at the time that we were, um, we were bringing him home uh, to, uh, for his last little uh, bit. So, yeah. So tell me more about that. Who, who was it that you took care of? So it was my father. And um, as, as many father daughter relationships are, it was, ours was complicated and we didn't really Mm. have much of of, um, of a relationship as adults. And uh, in probably September of last year, we, uh, as a family started to notice some changes in him and um, we needed to be more uh, engaged, right? And what was happening with his life. And so we began to, began to do that. And um, so from September until maybe February of uh, 2020, he was in and out of hospitals and um, just, we had a lot of, we were trying to help him in his own apartment. He's single and lived alone with home health, but that last hospitalization really uh, set the tone for what was to come. And Mm. uh, at the same time, COVID was shutting down places um, like long-term care facilities where he was transferred to, to rehabilitate. Right. And um, a lack of access to him uh, really did not allow us to advocate for him in the way that he probably needed to be advocated for. So about July, I had finally, June, really, I'd had enough. And I began to probe with the social worker, what were some other options? Could I volunteer? Could I work there? What did I need to do in order to be able to have access to him? Mm. And they said, uh, well, if you have a, I said, if I work here, do I have access to him? And they said, yeah, anytime. Right. I said, well, what do you have open? And they said, well, we've got a dishwasher position and we have, um, we have something in the kitchen and we have something for personal care aides. And I said, put me in the kitchen. I know how to, I know how to do that. Put me in the kitchen. And they did. Wow. And so I worked there for five shifts uh, and it did not take long for me to realize that it was that we needed to get him out of there. And we did, and we brought him home and uh, hospice joined us on that journey. And for six weeks, we had a really incredible, um, really incredible experience taking care of him, uh, loving him and then letting him go. You, there's like so many facets to your story in <laughs> such a short amount of time. Yeah. yeah. Like you just covered a lot of, of territory. So I think the first question I would have is what were some of the things that you were noticing? Cause he was single living in the apartment and several family members were noticing things. So like, what were you guys noticing and were you all on the same page? Cause I appreciated you saying that your relationship was complicated yeah, it was pretty distant, really, with all of us. I mean, we uh, cared about each other, but we did, we weren't involved in each other's lives on a day-to-day basis. We saw each other at holidays and special functions. We, we didn't really um, 
we weren't really integrated into each other's lives very much. But my uh, but my dad did go visit uh, my mom and his son um, frequently. So he would disappear for weeks at a time, not mm. showing up over there, not answering his phone, and, and not weeks, but like a week mm-hmm. would go by. And they would reach out and say, have you heard from him? Well, no, you know, at least not answering his phone. So then somebody would need to go drive over there and see kind of what was going on. And, um, and he would just drop out for periods of time. Mm. He, would, um, he wouldn't let anybody into his apartment. And we found out why there were some things going on in his apartment that we had to deal with that were really unpleasant and unhealthy. Um, we, uh, we were on the same page. It's funny. Um, it's like an accelerated, uh, when you have something like that to focus on, it accelerates some healing or it pushes some stuff to the side and allows you to get focused on the thing that needs to be dealt with, which is what's going on with dad. Yeah, I'm, I think that's beautiful that your family was able to do that. I think a lot of families also experience a greater divide, like they dig yeah. their heels in yeah. that my position is correct. Yeah, it can be hard for families to come together. Yeah. I feel like we're really lucky that way. I mean, there, you know, we had a, we have a, I guess we had a unique enough situation that there wasn't really anything, um, you know, there wasn't really um, any big issue. It was just a lack of um, connection. Yeah, that we had allowed, you know, over yeah. time. And I'm in my 50s, so you know, this is we're all in our. Um, kids are all 30s 40s 50s you know moms in her 70s and um and they weren't married mm-hmm. you know they've been divorced since I was a teenager so but he but really his his son and his ex-wife were his people mm-hmm. these were the people that were part of his daily life so the three of them were really united and they brought me in to say we need your help wow like That's we powerful. can and so I said okay what are we you know what are we looking at here so uh, so yes, I want to give uh, my family a lot of credit for just doing that. It was right. really, um, that was never a question. Um, and so um, did that answer your question? It did answer my question. Okay. Yeah. No, I think um, I was really blessed because I cared for both of my grandmothers for seven years and she had four daughters Um Two of them have since passed away. Two of my aunts have passed away, but I had all family support. Like my yeah. caregiving experience was so much love and gratitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then my mom would fly in, you know, as backup. And we talked almost, I mean, we still talk, speak almost daily. Yeah. Um, so it awesome. just, it really helps if the family can does. collaborate. It does. And when it, when it became clear that some major decisions needed to be made. And when it became clear that he was not necessarily going to be a helpful part of the process, you know, Mm, in terms of making decisions uh, that needed to be made relative to his apartment and to his uh, belongings and to his care, you know, right. Um, We, my mom and brother and I were able to work together to create um, uh, the most productive path forward that we could and um and so it became really clear that that he was going to need to be out of his apartment and somewhere else and if you had asked me um 
in September, would you bring him home to live with you? My answer would have, after a long laugh, would have been no, no, right. I'm not doing that. But when we, when we were clear that his care was unacceptable, um, when we were clear that his fate was, was kind of getting sealed in that um, sort of sea of neglect and a lack of contact with his people, um, it was not hard at all to make the decision to bring him home. And right. with, um, with how hospice works here, it was a seamless transition. It was quick. It was of no cost to us. Mm -hmm. It was extraordinary how their presence in the process facilitated us um, showing up for him the way we wanted to. It's nice to have that third party, sort of a neutral third party that are experts in what they do. And I really love um, that you all were willing to step into that because I think a lot of families are reluctant. Like they're just... Yeah, it's he so didn't want hard. It. Yeah, he did not want it. And so we had to we had to couch it with him in such a way to say, Dad, if you want to not go back to that place, this is our only option right now. This is an immediate option that gets you into our home, that gets you the equipment and the care and the resources that we need to make better decisions later. But we've mm. got to, we can't send you back there. Right. You don't want to go back there and we don't want you to go back there. And this right. is an immediate way for you to come home. And he said, okay, but you know what I've heard often, the biggest, his biggest resistance was uh, having to be uh, his toileting needs being taken care of. Right. Like, because he was bed bound. Mm. So he knew that that meant that I was going to have to do some things that uh, he wasn't interested in me doing and that I wasn't necessarily interested in doing. But he, he was really worried about that. Like that was a, I think that was something that had been on his mind and heart a lot longer than any of us could imagine. Right. I think it was one of the things that made him stay, think it was okay for him to stay where he was because at least we wouldn't be dealing with that. Right, and yeah. We quickly, we quickly got through that, you know, it was an unpleasant first night and then we just, <laughs> we just you know. And then we, and then we figured some things out. Those nurses know some tricks, man. When they teach you how to change a bed with a grown man in it, and they mm -hmm. teach you how to roll people over, it's like, why didn't I know this when I had kids? Like this would have been helpful when I had children. Right? This, is, like life this is amazing. This yeah. is a life skill. Somebody needs to, you don't need to learn how to fold a fitted sheet. No, but you need to know how to change a sheet with a grown person in it. Right. That's amazing. With a, yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Well, and I think to your point, you do enter some really sensitive personal territory when you, yeah. when you start to care for someone and that hands on, yeah. um, and it's a yeah. dignity issue and a privacy issue, but it sounds like both of you, you were kind of able to wrap your heads around it and we were, we, it was it. a process, right? Like anything yes. again, that this acceleration that I spoke of earlier in terms of our ability to come together without a whole lot of like, you know, healing or discussion mm -hmm. or conversation. It just sort of made the thing at hand most relevant. I think that's what happened for dad and I around these things. Yeah. You know, it's just like, well, we really have fewer options. This is what needs to happen. And so we will find our way to do this. And 
sometimes were easier than others, you know? Right. And no, I took too long to talk too much or, you know, like we just, we found our way and learned to talk to each other a little bit about it and found some humor in it and, um, and made the best of it. Yeah. And I think the fact that the family was willing, um, like you were educated on hospice. Yes. And, and how they could be of value to you. Cause yeah. I think a lot of families feel like, well, that's just literally for the last 12 hours of life. And I think yeah. they don't understand what value they could get out of it. Mm-hmm. And, you- for, and for how long? Like, you know, right. she said we can have people for a year or two. It's really a philosophy. Yes. Comfort. It's, uh, it doesn't mean that you don't get a nurse when you have a situation. It doesn't mean that you don't get visited by a doctor or that you're not cared for and that you're not treated. Right. It means that you are, that you are made sure everything you need to be comfortable and safe is there for you. Mm-hmm. And it's not about rushing to the hospital every time something goes wrong, but it's about figuring out how to navigate your body's, um, death process right you know and people can graduate that's right that's right that's what he he had a lot of issues with vocabulary you know and Mm -hmm. so we we had to do some work around that and um and basically I think he was upset towards the end when a nurse told him kind of the maybe a timeline of how she felt like things were going and he was really upset by it and I said you know dad if you feel differently trust that She's only going by what she knows, by what she's seen and what she's experiencing. She was not saying that to hurt you. She was, she was doing her best to tell you the truth. And if you don't believe that, if that doesn't feel true to you, then you go with what you got. Right. We're not, we're going to be here regardless. Right. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. We're We're here. So, you know, she has a feeling you have a feeling, go with your feeling. Right. Absolutely feeling about it. And then of course I, you know, had a conversation with her about, you know, probably easy on the, you know, the doomsday clock and it's all, you know, it's all good. (laughs) But he did well. He, you know, he recovered well. Well, and to your dad's point, Dr. Bruce Lipton or Bruce Lipton wrote that book, Biology of Belief. I don't know if you've read that, but it's it's fascinating. He really unpacks how our thoughts and beliefs can transform our healing um, or life experience, biology of belief. It it is really fascinating what our brains can do when when we make a decision about that. And I'm a coach and you're a coach, so we both know that. Yeah, yeah. I did a lot of mindset work on that man in that bed. Yes. (laughs) And on the woman in that chair, you know, like we we were both doing our work. (laughs) Right. Wow. What a blessing. I think it's really, I'm kind of skipping back, but really innovative to come up with the idea to work at the building he lived in for that short time. I, I just don't take no for an answer. I mean, like that's my, you know, that's kind of my um, gift with clients is when they keep bumping into that wall of I'm always the, what if it's possible person or what would it look like if it worked person? And I just can't, I just can't get to a place where the answer is no, you don't have access to your father. That just wasn't acceptable to me. So it didn't right. occur to me 
to not do whatever it was that I took. Now I did, after I got the job, I did have that moment of what in the hell have you done? What have you done, child? What have you really done? Do you know what this means? You have to actually go to work there. Right, like, yeah. You don't just get the badge. I mean, I think that was part of, in the back of my head, that was kind of part of the deal, but it was a, it was a great source of um, delight and uh, conversation in the family. Like everybody was like, man, you just don't give up, do you? I was like, what have I ever? Right. Are you not, are you new? Right. This is who I've always been since I was two, you know? Have you you done your Clifton strengths? Do you have maximizer in your strengths? I do. Yeah, so do I. It's like, there's always a better way. I know, I always, like I know. I, and I've kind of prayed about it too. I was like, if this is meant to be, let this be easy. You know, like I, I certainly on paper don't look like the kind of person who is qualified for that kitchen job. Mm-hmm. So I was really concerned about that because it's been, it had been 40, I don't know, maybe 35 years since I'd worked in a restaurant or a kitchen, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I said, um, when he asked me about my experience, I said, well, I worked in the restaurant business from the time that I was 14 until I was, you know, 24. So I have 10 years of experience. And he was like, okay, 10 years of experience. Like it was so easy. They just processed. Yeah, yeah that's good. And, um, and, and the rest is, I mean, when I, when I showed up, he just looked, I didn't tell him because I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I didn't want to, you know, it was hard to talk to him on the phone. He yeah. just didn't like talking on the phone. He didn't want to do FaceTime. And, um, so I got finished with my interview and I said, can I see him now? And the guy looked at me and he goes, well, and the nurse who had done my drug test or whatever, she said, um, why don't you give her a tour of the building? Oh, they walked me straight back to him. Yeah. Like it was such a, it was such a validation yes. that, okay, yes. you're in. And so yeah. they took me back to see him. It was the first time I'd seen him in months. Yeah. And so it was just, and he just was just stunned what do you mean you're working here? You have a business. What are you doing? And I said, don't worry about what I'm doing. Just know that I'll be here. Oh see my gosh. You know, like I'm going to see you soon. He was like, what? this makes me all teary. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I think about yeah. it too. and get a little teary, but that look on his face, he was really just like, could not believe it. Yeah. And, and then the day that I showed up for orientation, I walked by his, uh, his room. I stuck my head and I said, I'm going to orientation. He said, come in here. <laughs> And I, and I came in, he said, I don't want you to work here. And I said, what? why don't you want me to work here? And he said, cause this is where people are getting sick. I don't want you to get sick. I don't want, you've got oh. those babies at home and I don't want you to get sick. And I said, dad, I'm going to take care of myself. I promise. Yeah. You oh. after orientation, but I, he said, I don't want you to work here. I want you to look at the news. And I, and I said, okay, I'll come back and talk to you. Yeah. But he was really concerned. He was worried. And, um, and then he was grateful. You know, he would say, just sit with me for a while. I'd come up at every break and sit with him and, um, you know, his diet, he wasn't eating. He was basically um, malnourished mm. and, uh, and I was able to take care of that uh, while I was there, you know, bringing him other things that I knew he would like. And, mm-hmm. um, and then with me there helping him eat it um, right. because he had trouble with that. And uh, I, um, I got clear about the kinds of things that they were aware of and the kind of things that they weren't aware of. And it just got really clear that this was a a deteriorating situation. So I talked to my mom and my brother and I said, um, 
I think they're going to let you have a visit with him tomorrow. They were like loosening things up a bit. Yeah. And so I said, when you come in, uh, I think you will agree with me that he has to get out of there and that he has to get out of there soon. And Chris and I are willing to take him home as my husband. Mm -hmm. We are willing to bring him home, but I have to have your help. Like I have to have your help. Right. So if you don't agree with me, then we need to have a conversation. But if you agree with me, we have to get him out of there fast. And I need you and Jason on board. And she said, okay. And when they got there, sure enough, it was so clear to both of them. Yeah. And that was the first time they'd been able to see him other than through glass a couple of times. And, and they agreed and he was out of his mind. His blood sugar had dropped. And um, so my mom, who's a retired nurse, uh, suggested that they let him go to the hospital to be checked out. And he never went back. Hmm. We went in and got his personal belongings and I quit. (laughs) You weren't going to keep that job. (laughs) I quit. You know, it's so brilliant that, I mean, you had to have a lot of confidence and ask saying, I'm going to need help. Because I think the caregivers are burning out our minute by minute every day. Um, and they'll have family members who say, oh yeah, we'll help, but then they don't. And I think it's just as a caregiver, it's so important, um, to make the boundaries clear, ask for the help and be specific. Like people, when they say, I'm going to need help, like say, I need you to handle picking up medication and being really specific. Yeah, we did that. We really did. Um, Again, my mom being a former nurse that gave all of us a level of comfort Mm -hmm. in knowing that uh, we weren't going to, we weren't going to hurt him. Right. Yes. Yes. And, um, and then hospice being in several times a week to check on things and hospice being available 24 seven, if I had any questions about anything, Mm -hmm. Um, the uh, I'll remember the first night that they brought Um, that they brought him home and the hospice nurse came over, but it was really not about getting him set up as much as getting the intake stuff done. And then the nurse was coming the next day. And when she left, I remember Chris and I just looking at each other and looking at dad in the bed, like, what have we done? Like, what are we going to do now? Again, what have we done? (laughs) What are we going to do? Like what? And then he said, I think I need to be changed. And Chris and I were like, what does that mean? And I am immediately thinking of my grandchildren and changing kids. And I'm looking at his like body and I'm thinking, of, yeah. And I'm like, that's not going to work. Yeah. They do this. So then we looked up a YouTube video, you know, on oh, how to change my a goodness. Yeah. We look up this YouTube video and, uh, and it's this tiny, small, 80 pound woman who's oh not goodness. soiled that oh. they're doing the demonstration on. So it looks real easy. And I'm like looking at this 200 and. 200 something pound man now he's probably much less than that at the time he was really skinny maybe 170 six foot two you know yeah and thinking did you see any of that in this like what (laughs) we we made a mess of it and we did it and and then the nurse came the next day and showed us but you know even my mom like her strength and the leverage that you can get from a sheet and the things that you can do to make that easier that for us I think was a big, uh, for all of us was a big, we have, we can ask for help. We cannot know how to do things. We cannot, we don't have to be embarrassed. Right. We can just be curious and, and we'll figure this out that mom's role role was to come 
you know, um, every day to give me a couple of hours to just do something else, wow. you know, to either work or to uh, do something. And um, just her simple presence here was just so comforting or she would write on the top of the med bottles or she, whatever right. she was doing. Yeah. And then my brother's role would be to come in the evening and sit with him and just shoot the breeze or, you know, watch TV or hang out so that my husband and I could have dinner and just sit and relax. And, um, you know, we got into a good rhythm of it and yeah. everybody did their part. And, yeah. um, and I will tell you too, that my friends, a lot of my friends and, uh, people who had been through this were like, what can we do for you? How can we help? And of course I didn't know how to ask for help from them. Right. Right. Cause that's really hard. Uh, it was fine when I had a job for somebody to do in the house, but with COVID, we weren't inviting a lot of people in the house. It was only family. It was people we right. hadn't seen in, you know, since maybe Christmas, some of them. We wanted to make sure that happened, but people did the most amazing things and taught me how to take care of other people who are going through this. They just dropped things by on the porch and then would text and say, there's a little something on your porch. Have a good day. Oh. Or, um, and they would be, um, spaghetti jars with, uh, you know, little quotes on them and wildflowers from their garden and, um, um, energizing tea and chocolate and a couple of home-baked loaves of, uh, a family recipe bread with some butter and meals. Oh my gosh, the meals that people would bring and, right. um, all of those and the little cards in the mail, just all of those little things meant so much and helped me feel so much less alone. Mm. Um, and then I wrote a lot during that time. I wrote a lot. I shared a lot on my social media platforms. I, um, and that is where the guts of this next morning meditation books uh, will come from is just the other caregivers who reached out to me, who helped me understand what was going to be happening and what I might be going through and um, validating what I was having in the moment, not trying to fix it or change it. Right. And to say, yeah this is what this feels like was really helpful and um, just not expecting me to figure out what I needed, but just tapping me on the shoulder in some way and saying, we love you. But the meals and the, um, the little treats and the little flowers, there were fresh flowers everywhere in this house at all times. And it was wonderful. Oh, that is wonderful. And that's, that's so helpful because people want to help. And yeah. it's hard to think past like the task at hand. Yeah. Um, and I think it's critical for caregivers to let people in. It's so isolating. Yeah. It is so isolating. And, you know, I think maybe one of my favorite gifts came very early in the process. A good friend, like, you know, again, we're talking about this changing piece, like this mm -hmm. so hard. I had gotten baby wipes at the store. And let me just tell you something. You need a bigger wipe. That's right. And there are yes. such a thing. There's, a, yes. there's such a thing. I said, and I didn't know. I just didn't know. And so my girlfriend who'd known my father and, you know, we've been friends for our whole lives, showed up with three giant uh, packs of adult wipes. And oh I was like, gosh. you are my savior. Like, like this is going to change my life. Yeah. Literally <laughs> a game changer. That is so funny. Right. It was just so hilarious. To, you don't know what you don't know. Right. right. Like, you just don't. And right. she was just right on it. Like, she, yeah. it was like a group text. And I was like, baby wipes don't do the job. And she was yeah. on it, like, the yeah. next day on my porch. And that was really, 
was really that close. is hilarious. And again, like when you're in it, you can't, you don't have the foresight to like think there's another way. No, yeah. no, no, you don't. So it, um, and I think that that was probably my greatest um, gift was being cared for. So, um, from a distance and with such love and with such presence. Mm-hmm. And now I know how to do that for other people when they're going through grief. And I just didn't know. I think most of us don't until we know someone really well who is dealing with it. Right. And we have some kind of insight as to the things that comfort them or the things that delight them or the things that uh, touch their heart. And, um, you know, using that, you don't have to know how you can't fix it, but you can right. delight them can surprise them you can um you cannot disappear yes you can you can stay in relationship and and not worry that uh it's a problem or any of those things but well honestly it's a lot of really great people around me i i think your book would be one of those things that could delight people so tell me more about the one that's already published and the one that's coming up because i think That's a great example of something that's just little that someone wouldn't think of, but could add yeah. so much. So, um, so morning meditation nuggets is the name of the uh, sort of the franchise, if you will. But basically, I have a morning practice, mm-hmm. and every morning I get up and I uh, I get my coffee and I come into my Zen den here and I sit and I I get quiet and still, I meditate, I listen to music, I write. I read inspirational things. Um, sometimes it's just a devotional. I read Being Mortal. Um, oh, so good. Book while dad was here. So there were some things that I was reading that were focused on grief and family dynamics, but a lot of it was just inspiration. And then from that would come this nugget of like wisdom or this nugget of insight or this nugget of something that I would then sort of pontificate on a little bit. And that's what mm-hmm. these are filled with. This first book is just 15 of those. Uh, little things so someone could pick it up at any given time and read uh, something on presence or on freedom or on courage or on acceptance and Mm. um, those were the inspirational um, devotional messages that meant the most to me um, at that you know at that time Um, right and this in the sort of in the beginning of the pandemic and um and what I realized that those moments Uh, I wasn't able to have my morning practice in the same way that I always did because our schedule was so defined by his needs and his schedule. Right. But what I found was that there were, there would be any, any time during the day I could create that space. I would do it, you know, Mm -hmm. so, and it, and I needed it a few more times than just one. So oftentimes there were two or three times a day where I needed to sit down and refill my tank. And that's what I hope the caregiver book will be focused on is more um, of those moments where they can just sit down and put their headphones on and listen to something that lifts their spirit and soul and read something that um, gives them courage and perspective and, or validates what they're going through. Right. And then they can, take a deep breath and suit back up and show back up and, um, and do the work that they're being called to do to love someone through, um, their illness or their, um, walk them home, you know? And I wanted to, I meant to show a picture of my dad. Like, so, uh, like I said, my dad was, uh, kind of a grumpy old cuss, kind of a grumpy (laughs) old man. 
and it was rare that I would get to take a picture of him, but here's a picture of him. Oh. He and I at Keeneland racetrack. He loved the, he loved horses and horse racing. And then, but while I was taking care of him, we were arguing frequently. Our dynamic was finding itself. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is a picture of him when he was like 19. Oh my gosh. And I put this up on my wall in, in my Zen Den because this is, I needed to remember that this is the man who is laying in that bed. Yes. Right? That this is the boy. Um, and then there was another picture of him that uh, everybody in my family just fell in love with because it was such the essence of him. Oh. Like the essence of this man coming into his own and, um, and stepping into his life. And we were blessed to care for him as he was stepping out of it. And I just didn't want to forget who this guy was. Oh, Whitney, that's beautiful. And so I had, I still have it. Uh, I just took it off there. I'm going to put it back up, but it just made me, and it made everybody else in the family so happy to remember him in that way. He looked very different in bed yeah, uh, and so thin, so emaciated. And, um, and it was just, it was really comforting for us to have, um, have these pictures and these moments that we can remember that this is the man who's laying in that bed. That uh, is you know, such a great life. idea. That is such yeah. a great idea. Can I offer that to other people? Please do. And I'll tell you, I work in the facility too, because I day two, uh, my second shift in there, I took some pictures in there of, of he and I. And I said, this is, this is who I'm showing up in there for. Mm. This is not who you see in there, but this is who I see in there. And then I had pictures of him from when we were little, when he, um, when he adopted me and when we you know, got to be together. And I said, this is why I'm here. I'm not here to do the dishes. Right. I'm not here to do anything other than make sure that he gets what he needs. And I need you to know who he is. Yeah. And he's not going to wake up when you come in there and bring his breakfast to him and he can't feed himself. So I need somebody to help him eat. Mm-hmm. So who's going to help this guy eat? And right. it, it, it really made a big difference, well, I think, in how he was how he was seen and perceived instead of being a non-compliant, difficult person. He was seen more as a man who had a family who was deeply concerned about what was happening with him, whose needs weren't being met. And I think that it personalized it for them in a way that they could understand. They weren't doing anything wrong per Mm se. Okay. But they were not there for him. I was there for him. Right. And it was very clear from the moment that I stepped foot in that building that that's who I was there for. <laughs> I don't know if no I made mysteries. an ideal employee. <laughs> Let's don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah. No mysteries. Well, so, I am excited about your book and helping spread the word about it. And I think that just this conversation demystifies meditation a little bit because I think sometimes yeah. people get... Um, I don't want to say confused, but or just have been misled yeah. that it's um, boogie woogie spiritual practice, you know? Yeah. yeah. And if I could offer, you know, one of the things that I talk with my clients about is just creating that, uh, you know, thinking of your five senses, mm-hmm. right? Something that you can smell that, that uh, calms you down, something that you can see um, that reminds you or gives you perspective, yes. something that you can touch. I'm a knitter. 
So, um, you know, the blankets that we used in his room were soft and, uh, you know, just things for him too to think, you know, comforting things. What is it that you could feel that feels good? What can you, um, what do you need to listen to? Everybody's, there are some people who don't respond to music, but I don't understand them. Mm-hmm. But if you just put your headphones on and listen to a song that just moves through you, like how amazing that is. Right. And, um, and then, you know, what is something that you could drink or eat that tastes good, that is comforting? Like that's meditation. That's, yeah, it's, it's getting still and being fully present and being in the moment and then taking a breath and staying in the next moment and the next moment and then saying, okay, now I'm going into that moment. I'm going right. back into care. I'm going back in to do that but it's really a practice in learning how to be fully present and as you pointed out it's multiple times throughout the day it's not like sit down for a dedicated hour it it can be like multiple times throughout the day it can be going to the bathroom that's my favorite place it's like quiet nobody's yeah just like just sit and just like breathe and come to the moment Um, right the gift we need that well, thank you so much. I think this was a great conversation you, with a caregiver for caregivers. Um, so I really appreciate you and your time and you sharing your journey with me. It's so, it's very personal. So I do appreciate yes. that. It is personal. <laughs> and for the people who are doing it, um, I think until you do it, you just can't understand mm. what it's like to do it. And, right. Um, the small ways in which people um, left messages and shared just meant so much to us. Um, So don't forget, it doesn't have to be a big grand gesture, just something simple as I see you. I love you, I'm thinking about you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I just so appreciate you. Thank you.